1 Corinthians chapter 14. Again, if you need to borrow a Bible, if you raise your hand, we can bring one around to you this morning. We are continuing our study of the spiritual gifts this morning, and we're basically going to build off something that we looked at last Sunday morning. Last Sunday morning, we looked at all three categories of spiritual gifts from the scripture. Now, if you weren't with us, here's what they are. You have the management gifts or the office gifts in Ephesians chapter 4. Then in Romans 12, we see the creation gifts, sometimes called the motivational gifts. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see the manifestational gifts or the sign gifts. Now, we're not going to review all of those this morning, as I always like to do. In fact, I've already done it this morning. If you haven't been with us, I encourage you to go back and listen to our previous studies because that way you get the context of what we're looking at this morning. And I would say, even if you were here last Sunday morning, I think this is one of those topics that it's healthy to revisit from time to time. Because scripture does make it clear, again, as we've already alluded to, that each of us has at least one spiritual gift and we're to use them in serving one another in the body of Christ. You have a part to play in the body of Christ. You have a role to realize, a function to fulfill. We believe that every member should be a minister in the local church. God does not want us ignorant or without knowledge when it comes to spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now, we said last week that, unfortunately, when it comes to the topic of spiritual gifts, that a lot of times the church is sorely divided into two basic camps. In one corner, you have the cessationists. By the way, that is not a term that I invented, right? That is a term that's used within theological circles. Oh, I don't have the gift of tongues. Um, theological <laughs> circles to refer to someone who believes that certain spiritual gifts ceased at the end of the apostolic age. And then in the other corner, you kind of have an opposing viewpoint, and we call that the sensationalists, people who believe pretty much that anything and everything should happen in church as long as it happens in the name of the Holy Spirit. I think it's funny that over the years, you know, Calvary Chapel has often been called by Baptist church Pentecostals, and we've often been called by Pentecostals Baptists. So we're somewhere right in the middle, right? We're Baptocostals, because that's pretty much what we believe. We believe that the truth is right in the middle of these two polar opposites. Paul concludes our passage this morning. We'll see it as we come to the end of the chapter. He says, let all things be done, yes, but let them be done decently and in order. That's the key. Verse 33 of this chapter says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. God has not given us spiritual gifts to confuse us or to confound us or to divide us. God has given us these gifts to unite us together and to build us up and edify us as the body of Christ. But the controversy, the contention, the confusion so often swirls around two specific gifts, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's the gift of speaking in tongues and the use of prophecy. Uh, so let's dive in. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul begins, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So right off the bat, we notice a couple of things. Paul says we should desire spiritual gifts. We're not to ignore spiritual gifts or be afraid of spiritual gifts. We are to desire them. We're to want them. The word desire means to burn with zeal or to strive after. The other thing Paul mentions, it's the very first phrase of chapter 14, 
is to pursue love. So we're to desire spiritual gifts, but the only gift that we're really told to pursue is that of love. Paul ends chapter 12 on a very similar note. He says in verse 31, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now, the more excellent way that Paul is talking about there is the supremacy of love, which all of chapter 13 becomes devoted to. And in that chapter, Paul will say things like this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I've become like sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, you're just making noise. He says, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, though I have all faith that I could remove mountains, but I don't have love, he says, I'm nothing. He says, though I bestow all my gifts to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned, but I don't have love, he says, it profits me nothing. Tina Turner used to ask, what's love got to do with it, right? <laughs> well, according to the Bible, love has everything to do with it. So chapter 14 begins by Paul saying, pursue love. That is the greatest spiritual gift. That is the supreme evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work amongst God's people. The third thing Paul mentions, again, right there in verse 1. We haven't even made it out of the first verse yet. Pursue love, yes, desire spiritual gifts. But then he says, especially that you may prophesy. In our desiring of spiritual gifts, there is one gift that we should especially desire to have, and it's this, prophecy. Last week, we defined that term. It's a compound word that means to speak forth. We said, don't speak of prophecy as predictive. It's not foretelling, it's forth-telling. The gift of prophecy is when someone speaks the word of God with boldness and authority. Now, this is interesting because so often, the gift that we hear talked about or desired or pursued in the church today is what? It's so often the gift of speaking in tongues. But scripture says, if you're going to desire one gift, desire this gift, prophecy. Now, why would that be? Why would scripture say, this is the gift that you really want to have? And I should point out this that the overall context of chapter 14 and what we're going to be looking at this morning is the public assembly of the church. It's what benefits the church most when we're gathered together like this. That'll make a little more sense as we go through this chapter, uh, but just bear that in mind. That's the overall context. So let's keep going in the next few verses. Again, I'll read verse 1. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy, and here's why. Verse 2, because he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, and no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Verse 3, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So one's internal, the other is external. Paul says in verse 5, I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, because he says, he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets, which we'll talk about, that the church may receive edification. 
He says a very similar thing if you let your eye drop down to verse 18. He says, I thank God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Check this out. But in the church, and this is a pretty dramatic comparison. He says, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding so that I could teach others also than, than 10,000 words in a tongue. These verses that we just read are extremely important in understanding the purposes and differences of speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy. Again, bear in mind the overall purpose of spiritual gifts is it's for the church to be edified. It's for the church to be built up or made stronger or comforted, guided, equipped for the work of ministry. And what scripture says, in fact, we just read it, is that he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Why would that be? Because put quite simply, if you are speaking in an unknown tongue and there is no one to interpret, then Paul says, I'm paraphrasing, nobody understands what you're saying. You're speaking mysteries. And since nobody understands what you're saying, nobody benefits. As opposed to prophecy, where everybody understands what you're saying, and since people understand what you're saying, there is greater potential for people to be edified and comforted and built up, which is Paul, is what Paul says the result will be in verse 3. The other thing to note, verse 2, is that Paul says, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. This is hugely important. Down in verse 14, Paul says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Scripture says, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. Okay, why is that important? Because you can attend all kinds of church gatherings nowadays where someone will supposedly be speaking in a tongue, and yes, I use that word very specifically, and another person will say, I have the interpretation. And they'll stand up and they'll begin their interpretation by saying this, Thus saith the Lord. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Because scripture says right here, speaking in tongues is not God speaking to men. So if somebody's giving an interpretation of tongues and they begin it by saying, Thus saith the Lord, that's God speaking to men. That's not the proper interpretation of that tongue. Now it's possible that they have the gift of prophecy and they mistook it as an interpretation of the tongue, that's very possible because prophecy is God speaking to man. But tongues is man speaking to God. The other thing to note is this. Another reason people will kind of stay away from this topic is because somewhere along the way, somebody pressured them to believe that if you are really saved, you will speak in tongues. That that is the supreme evidence of being born again. And I don't know how else to say it. That is taught nowhere in the Bible. Yes, there are instances in the book of Acts where you see someone filled with the Holy Spirit and they are given the gift of speaking in unknown tongues. There are just as many instances in the book of Acts where someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, and they don't speak in an unknown tongue. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
God has appointed these in the church. And we talked about some of these last week. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. And then Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions. Okay, and the obvious answer to these questions is no. Listen to what Paul asks. Are all apostles? No. We would all agree that not everybody in the church is an apostle. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? Yes. Do you see how random that would be? If all of the sudden in this series of rhetorical questions, the focus was no longer no, not everybody has that gift. To all of a sudden say, oh, everybody's supposed to have this particular gift. So Paul will lay out in this next chapter very clear guidelines regarding the proper use and exercising of the gift of tongues, prophecy, and interpretation in the church. And if you just read them, they make perfect sense. Paul writes in verse 6, Brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? So again, he's asking the question, what good does it do in church if I'm not speaking in a way that people can understand? Look at the comparison he makes in verse 7. He says, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? So in other words, he's comparing it to a musical instrument. If you pick up a musical instrument and you just kind of start banging away on notes, but you're not following music, it doesn't make sense what you're playing. Uh, he keep, we keep going into verse 8. He says, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So there's all different kinds of trumpet sounds. We were talking about it this morning, in fact, during worship practice. You know, when you go to a sporting event from time to time, you'll hear this, do, 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 do. what are you supposed to do when that happens? Yeah, okay, you guys know it. Yeah, everybody knows what that means. And people with a military background, they know what all kinds of other trumpet sounds means. What is that? Who can tell me what that is? Taps, right. Here's, here's my Chuck Mangione impersonation. That's the clip that'll go viral. Um, but if I just got up with a trumpet and went, you wouldn't go charge. You'd be like, what are you doing? Right? And those things, there's no distinction in the sound. So check this out. This is Paul's comparison. He says in verse 9, So you likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words that are easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? You'll be speaking into the air, which sounds like a complete waste of time. There are, be, there are it may be, verse 10, 
So many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Right now, it's estimated there's around 6,500 known languages around the world. About 2,000 of those languages have less than 1,000 speakers. Still, to the people who speak that language, they completely understand what's being said. But Paul says in verse 11, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he'll be a foreigner who speaks to me. We will not understand what is being said or what is meant or who the message is for. This is why Paul says in verse 12, even so you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. In other words, if you want spiritual gifts, then desire spiritual gifts that are going to bless and benefit other people. That's why Paul says in verse 13, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that you may interpret. If you want your, tongue to, your tongues to bless and encourage other people, pray that God would give you the gift of interpretation to interpret what you're saying. Otherwise, you're like a foreigner to people. Nobody understands what you're saying. Down in verse 16, Paul even says, if you bless with the Spirit, meaning in tongues, how will the person who occupies the place of the uninformed even be able to say amen? Like, we won't even be able to agree with you because we won't know what you're saying. He says, you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Paul says in verse 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Okay, this is important. Paul is saying that the person who speaks in tongues or prays with a tongue doesn't know what they're saying unless they have the gift of interpretation to go along with it. I think the best answer I ever heard when somebody asked a pastor friend of mine if he spoke in tongues, he said, I think so. Because you don't understand what you're saying. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of faith. You do it believing that God knows what you're saying. This is, why, this is what Paul means when he says, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Paul is saying, I don't even know what I'm saying. That's why he encourages in verse 13, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. This is the actual part of this that a lot of people find offensive. They find the idea repulsive. They can't understand why God would give somebody the ability to speak in a language that they themselves don't understand. Have you ever had an occasion in your life where you have not been able to put into words what you're thinking or feeling? I mean, I asked my nine-year-old son this the other day. I said, Casey, have you ever had an instance in your life where you've been so overwhelmed with emotion, either sadness or joy, that you just, you do not know how to put into words what you're feeling. As I said a moment ago, there's approximately 6,500 known languages in the world. Of those 6,500 known languages, most of us, most of us speak a grand total of one. We can't all be like Mallet, right? How many languages do you speak, Mallet? Five? A few. A few, okay. Well, 
That's a very vague answer. Okay, so let's just hold to the English language for our purposes this morning, okay? So the English language represents one language out of a, a known 6,500 spoken on planet Earth. In the English dictionary, there's a little over 170,000 words. 171,476 words. According to language experts, the average English speaker has a working vocabulary of about 20,000 words. Okay, so that means most of us speak less than 15% of the less than 1% of the known languages spoken around planet Earth. Can we just all agree that we are very limited beings when it comes to language and our ability to communicate what we're thinking or feeling? Check this out. The gift of tongues is when God gives someone the miraculous ability to bypass the limitations of your own understanding of language, to bypass the bottleneck of your own intellect and pour out your heart to God in a way that he understands, although you may not. I believe this is what Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 8 when he says, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we should, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is what Paul means when he says in verses 14 and 15, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So what's the conclusion? He says, I'll pray with the Spirit, and I'll also pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the Spirit, and I'll also sing with the understanding. There may be times when I know exactly what I want to say to God, and exactly how I want to say it. So I pray with my understanding. I understand what I'm saying. But there may be other times when I am so bowled over, with grief or joy or confusion that I don't know how to put into words what I'm thinking or feeling. And God supernaturally gives me the ability to speak to him in a way that he completely understands. It supersedes my own intellect. I don't understand what I'm saying, but God knows what I'm saying. And God knows what I'm doing. This is why Paul says in verse four, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. You go away from those instances, not knowing what you said, but knowing that the Holy Spirit just spoke through you to God. And you can tell in your spirit. You can't explain it. Okay, It's like a lot of things in the kingdom of God. Explain the first shall be last. Explain if you want to live, you got to die. Explain if you want to find your life, you got to give it away. Explain love your enemy. Explain, turn the other cheek. Explain, consider other people as better than yourself. Like there's so much in the kingdom of God that's an insult to the intellect. We apprehend it by faith. This is what Paul says in verse 18. He says, I thank God that I speak with tongues more than you all. In other words, Paul knew that speaking in tongues was an amazing gift. David Guzik asks, why did Paul wish they all spoke with tongues? No doubt he knew the value of it in his own private prayer life. Paul was able, when the Spirit spoke through him, to unburden his soul in a way beyond human language. He could pray, praise, and intercede beyond his ability to articulate 
And Paul wanted every Christian to know this blessing. Still, by comparison, Paul says in verse 19, in the church, I would rather speak five words that I understood so that I could teach other people rather than 10,000 words with a tongue. Please remember the context. The whole chapter is focused on what Christians should do when we come together in the public assembly rather than what we do in our own private prayer life. I'm going to offend some people when I use this comparison, uh, but that's okay. I do it all the time. Um, There are expressions of intimacy between my wife and I that are totally appropriate in private. I'm sure you've had a situation before where you've walked past somebody and you thought, maybe you've said, get a room, right? (laughs) What are you saying? You're saying that expression of intimacy is not appropriate for public. You think, I can't believe Pastor Kevin said that. My kid is in the sanctuary. That's why we have children's church. I'll let you go home and explain that to them. (laughs) Okay? There are expressions of intimacy between the believer and God that are totally appropriate in private. But when you do it in the public assembly, they become disruptive and they become distracting. See, the problem is that the church today has become dominated by this thought process that says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. There is this rugged individualism that has infected particularly the Western church where we say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do regardless of how it affects other people. The Bible says that type of thinking is 100% totally, absolutely wrong. People all the time want to come up to me and ask, Pastor Kevin, why don't we allow people to wave flags during worship? Why don't we allow people to dance up and down the aisles? And here's what they love to say. They love to say, David did it. David did it before the Lord. And I always like to look at them and say, and he did it in his underwear. Should we let people do that in church too? (laughs) Paul is focusing on what's appropriate in public. That's the emphasis of this chapter. And since he's focusing on what the Christian should do in public, it becomes clear why Scripture regards the gift of prophecy as greater. Now, I believe if you were to ask Paul this question, which gift is greater in your private prayer life? Paul would say the gift of tongues, hands down. Because in the same manner we can ask, who do you edify when you speak in a tongue When you're in the public setting and nobody understands, let me ask you this. Who do you benefit when you're in private and you you speak a prophecy? Right? So tongues is beneficial for private prayer life. Prophecy is beneficial for the public assembly. Unless, of course, again, somebody has the gift of interpretation. But again, we're going to see very clear guidelines here. Let's keep going. In the interest of time, jump down to verse 26. Paul asks, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. He says, let all things be done for edification. Verse 26, 
lays out a very broad principle when it comes to public church gatherings. All things should be done, listen, not for entertainment value, not for spiritual self-indulgence, or to confuse people who are looking on, but for the edification of the entire church body. So with that in mind, Paul gives instructions, which I know to some seem restrictive and hindering, but when you consider them in the context of what's best for the public assembly, I believe they make perfect sense. First up is speaking in tongues. Look at verse 27. Paul says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn or one at a time, and let one interpret. But verse 28, if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. You realize there is almost no need to make any comment on this verse. Like it is so clear that it almost becomes unnecessary to unpack it. Paul says when it comes to speaking in tongues in church, here's what should happen. Two and at the most three people, they should speak one at a time and there needs to be an interpreter. And if there is no interpreter, then the person speaking in tongues should be quiet and speak just between themselves and God. And if you think, well, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You can do this. And some of you think, oh, he's just up there making whispering sounds. No, I'm actually praying. I'm speaking between myself and God. God knows exactly what I just said. Is that he would give some of you the gift of giving so that you would help us? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just praying for our Bible study this morning, right? Remember, the purpose of speaking in tongues, Paul told us in verse 2. Check this out. Remember this. He who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. So for somebody to become offended at the suggestion of, hey, there's no interpreter, just speak silently between yourself and the Lord. The person who becomes offended at that idea, A, they either don't understand that speaking in tongues is man speaking to God, and that primarily in a public church setting without an interpreter, nobody gets edified, or B, they just don't regard or don't care what scripture has to say about this, that all things that happen in a public church setting should be done for the edification of the entire church. There are people, okay? This isn't meant to be critical. It's just a statement of fact. There are people who have very little regard for what Paul says in verse 23. Check this out. That if the whole church comes together in one place and everybody's speaking in tongues, and there comes in somebody who's not a believer, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Okay, now I personally believe that the church should be concerned about that. And I don't mean like worried or bothered. I just mean that we should be mindful of it. That if the Bible actually gives us advice on how to avoid people thinking you're crazy, we should do it, right? Especially since there's already so much negative press regarding the church. Why would we do anything intentionally for an unbeliever to come in and go, those people are loonies. Now look, if you're doing something biblical, 
right? If you're loving your wife the way Christ loves the church, wives, if you're submitting to your husband and people think you're crazy, that's different because the Bible tells you to do that. But if we completely disregard these instructions, God says, this is how you do it. And we disregard it and people say you're crazy. That's not on God. That's on us. Now, Paul does the similar thing with prophecy. He says in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let him first keep si- let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches. I like what David Guzik writes about this. He says, though Paul is far more positive about the use of prophecy in church meetings than the use of tongues, he still believes prophecy should be regulated. The gifts of the Spirit are, listen to this, the gifts of the Spirit are never to be made the focus of congregational life. Worship and the Word of God are the focus, and the gifts flow under God's direction around the focus of worship and the teaching of the Word. People all the time, throughout the years have said to me, Kevin, you're hindering the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're quenching the Spirit by not allowing people to speak in tongues in church. Do you realize we allow all kinds of spiritual gifts to be used in public church assembly? We have the gift of teaching, the gift of leading, the gift of exhortation, the gift of serving, the gift of giving, the gift of mercy, the gift of evangelism, the gift of prophecy. Every single one of those is a legitimate spiritual gift, and you will find them exercised in every single one of our public church gatherings. The reality is we don't preclude anybody from speaking in tongues in one of our church services. What we do preclude is large groups of people speaking in tongues out of turn where there's no interpreter because the Bible says we're not supposed to. So when somebody says, you're quenching the spirit, listen, typically they have very little regard for the fact that the spirit has authored the word of God. The Holy Spirit who gives the gift of tongues actually says, And this is the proper use of it. This is how they are to be exercised in church. So again, when it comes to prophecy, there should be two or three. And then we read this. Let the others judge. The others who are there should judge. Who are the others mentioned in verse 29? Most likely this is church leadership that is present at a church gathering. Again, people have a hard time with this. I would say... It's probably the person who just in general has a hard time with the idea of leadership and accountability and biblical submission, right? They despise the idea that anybody could be appointed to actually discern if what they are saying is from the Lord. So so what are some of the biblical standards for judging prophecy? First, it should be judged according to the word of God. Right? If it's not biblical, we disregard it because God's not going to contradict himself. Second, it should be judged according to the standard of agreement. There's this phrase that goes throughout the Bible, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. And note this too, Paul says in verse 32, 
The spirits, this is so important, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What does that mean? It means that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you do not lose control. You are still able to control whether you are speaking out loud or not. So the idea that somebody loses control and church leadership says, oh, you need to stop, and they say, I can't, that's absolutely absurd. Completely unbiblical. Verse 33 says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Jump to verse 37. Paul concludes this section on spiritual gifts. Now again, with everything that he's said, with everything we've talked about, I'd say even in past studies, Scripture says, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Okay, there are times when Paul would say, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 12 or 7, 12, where he would acknowledge, he would say, this isn't a commandment from the Lord, this is just what I say. This verse is exactly the opposite. This verse is Paul saying, this isn't me. He's saying this is a commandment from God. So Paul is saying that if somebody comes into your midst claiming to be spiritual, claiming to be a prophet, and they come into our midst this morning and they say, I have a word from the Lord. Paul was wrong. Okay, Paul says, don't recognize that person. Because they're not spiritual. This, this is the commandments of God. There are people who believe they are so spiritually tuned in that the Bible doesn't apply to them. There are people who are so spiritually tuned in, they would read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and say, well, I know that's what the Bible says, but I think we don't care what you think. This says these are the commandments of God. Right? I mean, it's so simple. <laughs> oh, I had a personal story I was going to share about that, but I, I don't know. Just forget it. <laughs> you can find me afterwards and, you know, ask me about the, the personal story. If we are really spiritual people, I don't know why this is so difficult to understand. If we are really spiritual people, we are going to stick to the word of God. We're going to do what the Bible says. We're not going to go beyond it or add to it. And Paul pretty much describes Christians who would contend with them on this. He says in verse 38, if they're ignorant, let them be ignorant. Another way that this is translated is if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. The idea behind he is not recognized is kind of like when you go to a public meeting and, and it's like the chair now recognizes or the floor now recognizes so the idea is behind verse 37, again, the context being what happens in a church assembly and how spiritual gifts are to be used in the church. Paul says, if anyone thinks himself to be spiritual or a prophet, let him acknowledge that the things I write are the commandments of God. But if anyone doesn't recognize this, he's not recognized. In other words, if somebody, again, were to come in this morning and we go through the Bible study and, and we're looking at the commandments of God regarding spiritual gifts. And somebody says they're a prophet or filled with the spirit and stands up and begins to do stuff that is not biblical. We're not going to recognize you. 
We're not going to give you an opportunity to do that. Now, it's not because we don't love you, right? Or it's not because we have something against you. We're not going to recognize that person because they don't recognize the truth of Scripture. We want the church, listen, to be governed not by man or by what's popular. God forbid. And of course, you know, you look around the world today and you start to seeing what's popular, what is culture. It just has seeped into the church and there's churches bowing left and right to what's popular and what people want to do. We want the church governed by the word of God. Can I get an amen when I say that? We want the church governed by the word of God. So Paul concludes in verse 39, therefore, desire earnestly to prophesy Don't forbid to speak with tongues, but let all things be done decently and in order. And that's what chapter 14 is all about. It's the balance of scripture. So let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed with another worship song this morning. Father, we love you so much. I thank you that you have made your word clear. And I just pray that this morning we would apprehend the truths of scripture, not even by intellect, but by faith. You've given us the Holy Spirit, and it's your Holy Spirit that's authored these things. So we know that the Spirit within us agrees with what we've just read. So God, just continue to bless and build up and encourage and edify our church. Uh, God, bless people with spiritual gifts. Lord, I pray that if people here this morning have the gift of speaking in tongues, that you would give them the gift of interpretation, as your word says, or that you provide people around them who have the gift of interpretation. And Lord, just give our church the willingness, the flexibility, uh, the faith to be willing to just wait upon you and allow you to demonstrate and manifest your presence among us through the use of these gifts. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for an opportunity to assemble together this morning. Be glorified, God, as we leave. And uh, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who just has something going on in their life and they need prayer for and ministry, just I pray that they would, you would give them the willingness to seek someone out and that we could come alongside them and minister to that person, pray with that person. We love you so much. Thank you for being such a good God, a wonderful father, looking after your kids. In Jesus' name, amen.